Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists and Hannah for beautiful worship today. Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the Johannine Gospel, the 13th chapter. John chapter 13. You do want to come back next Sunday evening. We have the Annie Moses Band, which is performed at the Grand Ole Opry in Carnegie Hall. And let's just put on your toe-tapping shoes if you come next Sunday night. We're going to have a, a really, really fine time of worship. In fact, she was going to be at a different venue in town, and the cheapest ticket was going to be $24 and going up to about $64. And we're just going to open the doors and invite the community to come. And so you be here next Sunday night for the Annie Moses Band. Five-year-old Ava was looking at photographs of her parents' wedding. Kids like to do that, you know, try to look back and where was I then and trying to figure what all that means. And her father was describing the wedding ceremony in a lot of detail and giving the meaning of all the various elements. And all of a sudden for Ava, the light went off in her little head and she said, Oh, that's when you got mommy to come and work for us, isn't it? I'm not going to touch that story, but we are talking about a servant's heart today. The roads of Palestine were dirty and dusty. When the weather was dry, they were inches deep in dust. And when wet, they were little more than liquid mud. Shoes, of course, were little more than little leather straps tied together. But the roads had a lot more than just dust or mud. They had dung from the animals that roamed the streets and pulled the carts and garbage was left on the streets. It wasn't very sanitary. And having sandals with no socks, you can imagine the feet of the first century were very, very filthy. It was the custom of that day, moreover, to lay down, to recline at the evening meal. And so faces at foot level, you can imagine how the table fellowship was interrupted by the dirty feet. And so slaves were often provided to meet the guests at the door to wash their dirty feet. It was considered a mark of honor to provide someone to wash the feet of the guests. And to fail to provide a foot washer at the door was a breach of ancient hospitality. In fact, it's throughout the Bible all the way back to 1 Samuel 25 when David takes Abigail to be his wife and he sends his men, his servants, to propose to her. When they arrive, she bows to the ground and Abigail says, and I quote, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of David's servants. Abigail had a, a servant's heart when the servants arrived. Oh, let me wash your feet, she says. Or you remember in Luke 7 when Jesus is reclining at the table with dirty feet? A woman comes in who's a sinner, and with her tears she wets his feet. With her hair she dries his feet. With perfume she anoints his feet. The Pharisees sit over to the side, and they watch it all, and they said, if Jesus knew what kind of woman she really was, then he wouldn't let her touch him, much less do that. Jesus said, Simon, 
I need to tell you something. Well, say it, Lord. Those who have been forgiven much have hearts of gratitude, and those who have been forgiven little have no gratitude. And Jesus said, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. Jesus noticed. I entered your house, and you didn't wash my feet. But this woman that you look down upon has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair and anointed them with perfume. Or in 1 Timothy, when Paul is describing what it means to be a godly widow, he says, she has a reputation for good works. She's brought up children, and she has shown hospitality to strangers, and she has washed the feet of the saints. The godly woman was noted because she has washed the feet of the saints. Throughout Scripture, it's noticed when feet are washed and when they're unwashed. It was a lowly task. In, fi in fact, a Jewish servant couldn't even be made to wash feet. It was a foreign servant who was given the lowest of all tasks to do the job of washing feet. On this day, there's no foot washer at the door. Even the bowl of water is not ready. I imagine it's something like this. The first disciple arrives to the upper room for the observance of the Passover. He notices there's no foot washer at the door and the bowl of water is not poured. And he has to decide, am I going to wash my own feet? But then if I do, everybody will expect me to take off my robe and to take the towel and wash their feet. I'm no servant. I'm no slave. I'm not going to wash feet. And so instead of washing his own feet or anyone else's feet, He's first to arrive, and so he projects where Jesus will sit, and he goes to be seated at the right hand. The second servant arrives, and he looks, and there's no bowl of water. There's no foot washer. He looks at one disciple already seated at a place of honor, and he says, if he didn't wash feet, then I'm not going to wash feet either. And he goes and places himself at the left of where they think Jesus will sit. And it goes with each disciple as he enters the room. He notices the others have not taken up the task, and so he himself will not take up the task. Then Jesus arrives. He looks at the water still in the pitcher, not in the basin. He looks at the towel still clean because no one has washed any feet at all. And I imagine he thinks to himself, we're at the Passion Week. We're here toward the end, and they haven't understood anything. Lesson after lesson and parable after parable and argument after argument. I have taught them. I have taught them. And yet they all are seated with proud hearts and stinky feet. And I imagine Jesus goes over himself, and first he just reclines at the table, and maybe he thinks, well, they wouldn't wash their own feet or each other's feet, but someone will get up and wash the teacher's feet. Surely, we'll see. I'll wait. No one. No one. If you ever notice in Scripture, we've got a sermon coming up about it in a few, few months, 
that every time Jesus is making predictions about his suffering, his crucifixion, his passion, his resurrection, that every time he's doing that, the next conversation amongst the disciples is, I'm the greatest in the kingdom of God. I'm greater than you are. When the kingdom comes, I'm going to sit at the right hand. In fact, the mother of James and John has already asked, Lord, grant me anything I ask. When you come into your kingdom, may my boys be seated at the right and left hand of your throne. And so while they're talking about their position at the table and who is the greatest, probably they don't even notice that Jesus gets up until they hear the pouring of the water and they are shamed all at once. Oh, no, what is he doing? He takes off his outer garment. He ties a towel around his waist and he goes to each disciple and each disciple places his feet in the bowl and Jesus rubs the feet and dries the feet with the towel and moves to the next and they realize that now their rabbi, their master, their Lord is actually washing their feet. Can you imagine being able to testify after the resurrection? He washed my feet. Yeah, he, he took his hands and, and he rubbed my feet. And he dried them, patted them dry with a towel. The crucified, resurrected Jesus washed my feet. All of them are just stunned, shamed, quiet until Peter, Peter talks when he's proud. Peter talks when he's shamed. Peter talks all the time. You know someone like that. Peter is always talking. They can wear you out, can't they? Peter always talks. Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. No, 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 no way. You're not going to wash my feet. Peter, you don't understand now, but you will understand later. No, I'm not. There's nothing to understand, Lord. You're not going to wash my feet. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you're none of mine. I'll wash my feet, wash my hands, and wash my head. Not needed, Jesus says. Just the feet. Nobody wanted to wash feet. Nobody wanted to shine shoes. Nobody wanted to do anything but sit at the table and talk about why they should move up a slot at the Lord's table. I don't know about your household, but my household, we try to do better, but we produce a lot of garbage. Do you? And you wonder, well, I just changed that yesterday, and yet it's full of garbage again. And then it, it, as the garbage grows, nobody really wants to trade the bags out, do they? And so it kind of gets high, and you kind of, we become human trash compactors. I don't know why, but instead of taking the bag out and tying it, I almost go to the bottom, pushing my elbows into the trash. That horrid thing of changing the bag, I don't want to do it. And so I push it down and edge mine in. I can find a slot, just edge my plate in on top or my cup in such a way as I made it, and the next person has to change the garbage. And then when you do change it, take it out, tie it, Go all the way out to the dumpster? No. Set it in the garage, right? 
and it builds and it builds. I think there's a children's book about this and it builds and it builds and it builds. And I call it playing the garbage game. Well, she'll give in eventually. Now, Chandler's never going to give in. Just count that one out. <laughs> Maybe Lisa will give in eventually. I can go four, five, six bags before I say, okay, it stinks, it's too much, you can't get it out of the garage, I'll take it to the dumpster. You just keep letting it build because at some point you know the other person is going to do that task and put the garbage in the dumpster. It's called a wait and see with the garbage. The disciples were playing wait and see with the dirty feet. If you play wait and see with Jesus, you'll always win. He'll always lose because he'll always do the task that no one else wants to do. They're arguing about who's the greatest. Now, I, I don't think we've had any Sunday school classes have arguments because they're all sitting around the table arguing who's the greatest in the Sunday school class. It, it doesn't happen that way anymore. In 2,000 years, we have learned much more subtle ways to display our pride and our grasp for position, our push for power. We disguise our desire for recognition and power and place and position. Each of us wants our idea to be the greatest, our ministry to be the greatest, our pet doctrine to be the one most spoken about. It's a mysterious sin, this stinky feet syndrome. We can paint it, we can perfume it, but underneath, I think in some ways, speaking for myself, we're all a bunch of disciples gathered around our Lord, coming to him with dirty feet and very proud hearts. Dirty feet and very proud hearts. And pastors are the worst, aren't they? Ecclesiastical dignitaries are often offended because someone doesn't give them the precedence they think due their position entitlement. The world is full of people who are standing on their dignity when they ought to be kneeling at the feet of the brethren. Oh, in this church over here, she's not been asked to do a solo in about three months. Well, I guess they don't need me anymore. And out of the choir she goes. Is it about her solo voice? Is that why she's singing in the choir? Someone not invited to the table, they thought they should have that position at the table. And then we all somehow think a little more highly of ourselves than we ought. And the dignity, the power, the prestige, our rights, because we can be, after all, very, very small. Gordon McDonald said, you can tell whether you're becoming a servant by how you act when people treat you like one. Now you think about that for a moment. You can tell whether you in your heart are becoming a servant of the kingdom by how you act when people treat you like a servant. 
two things I want you to see this morning. First of all, we are to follow Christ's model. We are to follow Christ's model. Watch Jesus now. What's he doing there? He gets up from the table. Perhaps he's sick of the air, so tainted with the smell, not of feet, but self-ambition. Look, he's taking off his garment. Oh, no, he's taking the towel. It's tied around the waist. He pours the water in the basin. What's that? The rabbi is going to wash our feet. Have you ever noticed verse 3 before? It leapt off the page for me this time. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Let's, let's take that apart a little bit. Jesus, knowing that God the Father, the Creator, that Yahweh had placed the whole world, he had the power of the whole world in his hands. And knowing that before he was preexistent and the glory of God. Jesus, knowing that he had power over all things because the Father had placed that power in his hands, and Jesus, knowing that, he had come forth from the glory of heaven, and knowing likewise that he is going back to the glory of heaven, going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took up the towel, girded himself, and washed feet. You see the irony of the two verses side by side? Jesus, knowing he was co-creator with God the Father, reigned in all power with God the Father, had come forth from the glory of heaven and was going back to enjoy the glory of God around the throne. Glory stoops to wash feet. Glory stoops to wash feet. The actions of Jesus make the, dis the disciples uncomfortable. I imagine there's a lot of awkward silence. They all realize that sometimes an action speaks so much more than words. Jesus didn't have to scold them or say anything about that they should have been washing each other's feet. He just takes up the pitcher, pours the water, takes off his garment, ties the towel, and starts the process. And at that point, nothing more needed to be said. His actions had said all that needed to be said, Jesus washed their feet. Look at verse 12. Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. The slave is not greater than his master, neither is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. You know these things, and you will be blessed if you do them. You know what I've done for you? 
I'm your teacher, I'm your Lord. And the student is not greater than the master. And the one being sent, Jesus sent from the Father. Jesus is not greater than the Father. The disciples sent from the Son. The Great Commission, the last words, he's sending them. Go, make disciples. Neither is the one being sent greater than the one who sins. And therefore, if I have washed your feet, then you ought to wash the feet of each other. But the difficulty arises, doesn't it? When everybody wants to be somebody and nobody wants to wash the feet and everybody wants to pull and push for his way or her way, we ought to wash feet. Brendan Manning, an evangelical Catholic, was waiting to catch an airplane in the Atlanta airport and he took a seat where men will often be seated to have their shoes shined, or ladies, and he takes the seat and he waits for an elderly gentleman to come over to begin the process of pulling up, you know, the cuff of his pant leg and tucking in the laces and beginning the process of doing his shoes. And all of a sudden, Manning felt this compulsion that when this is done, I'm going to pay him, tip him, then I'm going to shine his shoes. I'm going to pay him, tip him, and then I'm going to shine his shoes. So the man was shining away, and when it was over, he pulled the man's cuffs back down on his pants leg, and he stood up, and he took out his billfold, and he paid the man, and he tipped the man, and then he said, now you sit down. I'm going to shine your shoes. The man recalled. You're going to do what? You, you sit down. I'm going to shine your shoes. Now, how would you like them done? And the old man sat down and began to weep, and he said, No one has ever shined my shoes before. No one has ever shined my shoes before. The man who would shine hundreds of shoes every Saturday at the Atlanta airport had never ever had his own shoes shined. Will you, will I, will we be willing to wash feet? Robert Fulgham, who wrote all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten, says that right alongside the mirror in his bathroom is a picture of an old woman. And every morning, standing there shaving, he looks at the picture of the old woman. She's small. She's elderly. She's stooped over. She's wearing sandals and an eastern robe, headdress blue. And in this picture, she is surrounded by a lot of 
important-looking people, you know, tuxedos and evening gowns and regalia of royalty all in the picture with her, is a picture of Mother Teresa, servant to the poor, receiving the Nobel Peace Prize. And Fulgham says, I keep her picture right there on my mirror because I'm reminded more than any other resident of any nation, more than any pope who ever lived, more than any CEO of any major corporation, that woman has earned authority because she's a servant. That woman has earned authority because she is a servant. The four marks of success in our own society, you can name them just like I can, money, power, fame, or status. Money, power, fame is not the same thing as status or status. And they're all very good things as long as you use them for resources rather than goals in themselves. They're wonderful things if they're a resource that you use for the kingdom of God. The problem is it's hard to know when they've become goals themselves, isn't it? How much is enough, the first million, then we need ten, don't we? Aristotle warned that the problem with desire is that desire feeds itself. If you have a little power, then you thirst for more power. A little fame, then you want all the more. An ancient philosopher might have said it this way, desires make good servants but terrible masters. Desires make good servants but terrible masters. The second thing I want you to see quickly as we close this morning is not only are we to follow the model of Christ, but we're also to follow the mandate of Christ. Look at the middle of verse 14. You ought also to wash one another's feet. It's not just a model to be followed. It is a command. It is a mandate. And this is no isolated event, is it? In fact, one of our deacons was uh, in the office quoting, having no idea about the sermon content this morning. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great shall be your servant. The greatest among you will be your slave. If you want to be first, you need to be last. Paul, James, Peter, Jude, all call themselves what? Bond servants of Christ. You've heard the story of the famous conductor Leonard Bernstein. Someone asked him one day, what is the most difficult position in the orchestra to fill? And he said, oh, that's easy. It is second fiddle. Everybody wants to play first fiddle, and they play it with a lot of enthusiasm, but it's really hard to find someone who will play the second violin with heart. And if someone doesn't play the second violin, then we have no harmony. It's just as important as the first violin, but no one wants to play the second violin. I want you to notice the final thing about this story. I want you to look at verse 21, and then we'll be done. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Now, 
Have you ever thought about this? When Jesus is going around washing the feet, he washes Judas's feet. He treats his betrayer just like his best disciple. He already knows. He's about to sop the bread, give it to Judas, and Judas is going to do what you need to do quickly. He already knows the end of the story with Judas, and yet Judas sticks out his dirty feet just like Peter. And Jesus washes them, pats them dry with a towel. You'll know you're really like Jesus when you can treat those who wrong you just the way you treat those who do well by you. He makes no distinction. He could have done the sop first, get rid of Judas before we wash the feet. Just reverse the order in the story. It's easy. Judas is out of here. Don't have to wash his feet. But no. In the bowl, with a towel, Jesus washes the feet of Judas. I've got a long way to go, don't we? At least I know I do. Proud hearts and stinky feet, but glory stoops. Let us pray. God, you could have talked to us about humility and pride in five volumes. And it would not have spoken to us like the picture of our Jesus hand rubbing the feet of his disciples. It is a picture so powerful that it humbles us and shames us and calls us to humility in a way that no words can do. God, we want to follow his model and his mandate. And for those of us in this room who have proud hearts, God, forgive us. You rebuke us this morning with this story, and we admit that we are nothing but sinners who need a Savior. We have not come from glory, but we will return to glory because of you. Maybe there's someone here this morning who needs to have a Savior who will wash his feet, a Lord who's willing to stoop from glory, not only to wash feet, but to die on a cross and to rise again. Maybe there are others who want to be a part of a church that turns power structures upside down. Where the last are first and the first are last, and those who wash feet have the greatest honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.